fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Fresh off an awesome Cowboys interview with R.J. Ochoa, which you can find at ffbdpod.com slash beat1, ffbdpod.com slash beat1. Uh, we're continuing this on the Fantasy Beat series, staying right in the NFC East by having Dan Schneier on, who covers the Giants. He covers the Giants for 24-7 sports, CBS Sports, and fantasy at PFF. Dash fantasy, so pro football focus fantasy guy here. So you know he's gonna know his Giants. You know he's gonna know his fantasy, which is just the perfect type of guest. You can find his own podcast at Big Blue Banter, where he's the co-host of that fantastic Giants insight all off season. And obviously this year, tons to cover. We got a new coach in Pat Shermer who helped turn the Vikings into a juggernaut style offense. Can he have the same fate over in New York? And how are all these intriguing pieces from Odell Beckham to new rookie Saquon Barkley to Evan Ingram that? Athletic freak at tight end to even Sterling Shepard, the always underappreciated and overlooked guy. How are they all going to fit in? And is Eli Manning going to be enough to sustain fantasy value for so many interesting parties? We cover all that with tons of great insight, just the schematics, what he's seeing at camp. This interview is fantastic. You're hearing a good one here. Dan Schneier again. Fantastic stuff coming live on the Fantasy Beat with the Fantasy Fullback Dive. All right, as advertised, we got Dan Schneier here, uh, you know, beat writer for the Giants. And, of course, we just interviewed a Cowboys beat writer, and he had some, you know, not-so-flattering predictions about the Giants' upcoming season, which we will be sharing with you in a little while. Um, Dan covers the Giants for 24-7 sports, CBS Sports, uh, does fantasy for pro football, focus fantasy, uh, the co-host of the Big Blue Bander podcast. Uh, I was going to just say Dan has it going, but, Dan, that is a, a pretty – hefty resume like how much how many hours of sleep do you get a night <laughs> not much and when i'm sleeping i'm usually thinking about uh either my fantasy team or the new york giants so it's not very healthy but you know <laughs> i like it no but you're that Dude, is literally works the for me blueprint of the guests that we want on this show exactly yeah you know, the fantasy not... nightmares and brutal lately too oh my god i haven't been able to sleep in weeks so i feel you on that one dan <laughs> All right, we're going to get right into it. And, of course, I'm going to bring up someone as a Giants fan, probably very near and dear to your heart, which is uh, Ben McAdoo. Uh, <laughs> mercifully out as head coach of the Giants. Now we've got former Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, who's credited with turning around Minnesota's offense. It is now in the driver's seat. Uh, we've written an extensive breakdown of what we're expecting this offense to look like. But what are you expecting and even better seeing thus far at training camp? Yeah, I think what you're going to see is – a lot of what you saw last season with the Minnesota Vikings, he doesn't have to change too much of the offense he had there. He has to take out some of the bootlegs and some of the the play, the play action passes where he had Case Keenum kind of moving and making throws on the run. That's not, There's not going to be as much of that in this offensive scheme with Eli Manning at quarterback. And at the same time, you're going to see a little bit of a different um, 
a, di- a different uh, looks to some of the run game because they did bring in Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator from the Carolina Panthers, who had a lot of different and unique run schemes that he used up there in Carolina and also had extensive experience working with a pass-catching running back like Christian McCaffrey and, of course, the Giants now have Saquon Barkley in that role. But some of the most interesting things I've seen so far at training camp is just a lot of pre-snap motion and a lot of different uh, formations and alignments out of some of the same personnel groupings. So not the same as we saw last season because in 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, it's pretty much all 11 personnel with three receivers and one tight end under Ben McAdoo. And Pat Shermer mixes it up. He goes with a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends, two receivers. He goes with some 11 personnel. All coaches do at this point. Um, and he goes with some 21 personnel as well, and even some 13 personnel with three tight ends on the field. So what you're seeing, and uh, Rhett Ellison actually described this best to me. He was actually now the co-starter of, of the Giants because they're running 12 personnel as their base. He said, I like to look at this offense, he told me, as musical chairs because anyone at any time can be motioned out and moved into a different spot, and they're expected to play a different role in the offense. Offense. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, yesterday at practice, we saw a play where Evan Ingram was motioned into the backfield at the last second, and, and, the, and the Giants and Eli Manning handed the ball off to him in the red zone as a running back. So there's just a lot of different varying personnel, formations, and pre-step movement in this offensive scheme. That's fantastic. It's very interesting stuff at the Evan Ingram note. that I, I'm in love with him. We'll get to him in a second. But you mentioned Saquon Barkley. And before I get into the question I was going to ask, obviously some news today coming out of camp with him pulling up a little bit. Uh, do you have any on the latest of what that could be? Is there any type of seriousness to that injury? I mean, it doesn't appear to be serious at this time. You really never know with hamstring injuries. I mean, I remember during Beckham's uh, rookie season, Odell Beckham's rookie season, that first one, he got injured and he tweaked his hamstring. They thought it would be nothing. Turned into a multi-week injury, and before you knew it, he wasn't he, he wasn't playing until week four of his rookie season. But I don't think that's what this one's going to be. I think there would have been a little bit more uh, at practice that we would have seen from that because basically what happened is he got his leg, he got his hamstring wrapped, and then they took off the wrap for whatever reason. He was walking fine. Um, Pat Shermer says we're going to take this cautious, and based on you know what we saw from preseason week one, not even considering playing Odell Beckham Jr. I don't think we're going to see Barkley in preseason week two. I don't think we're going to see him in the joint practices that begin tomorrow, Detroit Lions in Detroit. And I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see him much more this preseason. I mean, it just depends. I don't think it's a major injury thing like that, but I think that Pat Shermer is very, very, very cautious when it comes to these injuries. Absolutely. So let's assume full health. I have him right now at number six overall on my big board. So I'm, I'm all in on Saquon, clearly. I think he's a legitimate chance to be a top three type of fantasy cheat code, we like to call him, t- style of player. The Le'Veon Bells, the Gurleys. Uh, but what do you see in camp so far? How is he looking and what are your expectations? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with, with Saquon Barkley. His ceiling as a fantasy football player, to me, really has nothing to do with him. Uh, or his role in this offense, because when Pat Shermer, when the Giants drafted him, Pat Shermer said, hey, yes, I can see him, envision him in a Le'Veon Bell-like workload mm-hmm. if he can pick up the pass protection, and if he can, you know, be advanced in those in those areas. And every step of the way, from mini camp to training camp to preseason, he's really done an excellent job. Well, actually, I'm sorry, in preseason, he didn't really have an, uh, an opportunity to make a big pass protection play. But he, in training camp so far, he's really made some really stick on blocks and pass protection. He hasn't blown any of his assignments. So when it comes to that, you know, there's really it's, – it's tough to take a guy like that off the field because of what he can offer you as a head coach when you're calling plays because you can split him out wide as a receiver, which the Giants have done throughout camp. You can run him on the wheel route, which actually was the play he got injured on today. But what people aren't, aren't really focusing on, but it happened today, was that this was a phenomenal play in practice. Uh, actually, Kyle Oletta, the rookie quarterback – 
the future over Davis Webb, if any of them are going to be, but that's a whole other conversation. Hit Barkley on a wheel route when he was getting his first uh, first team reps um, in practice. So it was just a really great route run. Like, he beat Janoris Jenkins down the left side. That's tough to do. He was, you know, Jenkins, when he's healthy, is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, so for me, it's not a matter of workload. It's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of this Giants offense. Are they going to be a top-scoring offense? If they're not... Barkley's ceiling is capped because he's not playing in an offense like Le'Veon Bell's. He's not playing in an offense like, uh, you know, Todd Gurley is. Or and, and if he is, he might be. We don't know. That's going to be the difference. I mean, he between him him becoming a cheap coat, cheat code and him becoming, you know, more of a uh, – I don't want to say Burnett type, but more of a Kareem Hunt type <laughs> of last season, uh, I guess would be, for me, his floor. All right. Odell Beckham, of course, the biggest name in the organization. Maybe one of the biggest – maybe the biggest name in the NFL. Jeez, he definitely thinks he is. And we now know there's a little bit of a contract scuffle going on. And it might not be crucial for fantasy owners specifically to know, but uh, we're curious to know the latest that you've heard uh, that's surrounding that situation. And also just kind of, a, you know, as an offshoot of that, how's he looking after missing most of 2017 with that, you know, rough ankle injury? Yeah, so first on the contract note, um, the, the way I foresee this happening is similar to how it played out in 2008 after the Giants won the Super Bowl. And Plaxico Burris, actually their number one receiver at the time, was playing on a really old t- contract. Back then, I think it was like, I can't even remember this deal. It was so cheap. I think it was three years, $12 million, or three years, $11 million. I got to look look this up again. So I remember when I saw it, I was just stunned at it. But he wanted a new deal, and he actually didn't practice much during training camp. He only really did individual drills. And yet, right before the start of the season, just hours before the regular season opener, the Giants gave him a contract. And I foresee this situation playing out in almost identical fashion with with the situation where at 48, 72 hours before the regular season opener, the Giants and Beckham will agree to a new contract. But, you know, it's going to complicate things if if this Aaron Donald report is true and he's going to make $24 million mm. a year because the Giants simply want to pay Odell Beckham $18 million, uh, just a million more a- average annual salary than Antonio Brown, still making him the most expensive receiver in the NFL. But I think what they're going to try to do is get creative with it and give him the most guaranteed money ever to a wide receiver. So that's kind of a way to lure him in because Beckham's the type of guy, like you said, he wants, he wants this, he wants like to make a mark when he gets his new contract. He wants it to be new. Uh, but as far as how he looks, he looks like he was never injured to me. I mean, you watch him flying around the football field and you wonder like, are the Giants telling him to scale things back? Cause it certainly doesn't look like it the way he's moving on the field. And he's just a terror in the red zone. They really haven't even fully unleashed him yet. You know, he hasn't run that many vertical routes and training camp and practices I've been at. So once they get him going, I see, I foresee him having a really big year in a similar fashion to, you know, how Pat Shermer unlocks Stefan Diggs, very similar skill set to Odell Beckham. Obviously Odell Beckham's a better player than Stefan Diggs, but it's a very similar skill set. Those, those mesh route concepts, which are really a key cog of the Pat Shermer offense are going to be a really good way to get him the ball in space. And we've seen that a lot in training camp too, with a lot of these fake screens to Barkley, then throw screen back to Odell Beckham and just little, little quick routes out of the slot where he's making quick cuts in and out of his breaks and getting the ball in space. So I think that's going to actually help his fantasy value in 2018. Uh, that's fantastic. My follow-up was going to be how is Shermer going to use him, but you kind of just answered that. The whole musical chairs earlier, I'm just picturing him getting moved all over the place, these little screens. and like you, Yeah, a lot more in the slot, too. So they didn't mean to cut you off, but that's the key because, you know, McAdoo didn't do that. And mm-hmm. obviously the smart coaches in the NFL realize the mismatch you can get when you move your best receiver in the slot. And thankfully, you know, thankfully for Giants fans, they finally have a coach who, who understands that. 
That's fantastic. Now, uh, and another potential mismatch nightmare is a guy you mentioned was lined up in the backfield in camp earlier is Evan Ingram. Um, and that's actually kind of what led me to finding you is there was a tweet you posted that Evan Ingram's the most impressive offensive player in camp so far. And, and that caught my eye because I'm really high on Ingram too. I, I love the talent he brings. Um, but just for anyone who kind of you know hasn't caught up on that, how's Ingram looking? What are they doing with him? And what do you expect out of this guy in, in his sophomore campaign? Yeah, I think a lot of the people, there's been, Evan Ingram's a really polarizing player in the fantasy community this summer. So there's half the community that sees the talent, sees Mm -hmm. the second year game slowing down, sees the addition of Pat Shermer, a coach who's going to use him on more vertical routes, a coach who's going to use him in other ways, and likes him. Then there's the half of the community that says, listen, this guy had 102 targets in 2017. Odo Beckham was injured. Shepard was injured for most of the season. And when he played, he was playing injured. And now Saquon Barkley's in the mix. How's this guy not going to be worse now? How's he going to get less volume? So it's really going to come down to a question of what's more important. Can his efficiency outweigh the loss in volume? Because he is going to lose volume. But, you know, you have to understand, and this Giants offense didn't score 30 points in one game. They weren't in the red zone very often. So with the increased trips to the red zone for Evan Ingram, I think he's going to be a big part of the red zone offense. We've already seen that. Um, and that's something that was the case with Pat Shermer's offense is every stop step of the way with Kyle Rudolph last year and you know during his early seasons with, with the Rams and even with the Eagles when he was on that staff. So I think the red zone efficiency will make up for it. I don't think he's going to be... Uh, 2018 Zach Ertz, and I may be jumping the gun here, but I know you wrote wrote, wrote something about them in the notes, but because Ertz's, Ertz's whole thing was just he became the red zone guy there, and they still have Odell Beckham, and they still have Saquon Barkley to, you know, to probably be the focal points in the red zone, but I do think that Evan Ingram can return about value at cost, which, you know, a fantasy drafter is going to have to make the decision if they want to invest at that tight end position um, if they're going to draft him at cost. All right, good assessment, in my opinion. Uh, Sterling Shepard, you mentioned, uh, missed a bunch of time before. He might be the most overlooked player, uh, you know, at least in my opinion. The guy is kind of criminally undervalued in some ways, although there is a lot of talent around him, but he's got plenty of talent himself. He's fallen way past, like, round eight, even round nine in some of these drafts. What are your expectations for him in 2018 and uh, how he's going to fit in with this offense? Yeah, Shepard's an interesting uh, asset in the fa- for fantasy in 2018 because one thing underrated about, about Shepard is how much Eli Manning has liked to use him in the red zone over his first two seasons. And even uh, last season when he was fully healthy, which was really only for a two-game stretch um, against the, you know, it was, it was a two-game stretch, I believe it was Oakland, followed by, it was either the Oakland-San Fran stretch or the Oakland-Philly stretch, I'm now forgetting, which is awful. But And he had, you know, he had big breakout games, but for me, with Shepard, unless the Giants do become this top three, top five offense, which I don't really think they're ready for this year. And uh, with a combination of things for starters, I'm not fully all in on this offensive line. I think there's major holes at center, right mm-hmm. tackle, and even at left tackle, I'm not fully sold on Nate Solder. He's going to be better, but I don't think he's going to be elite. Um, and then also, Eli Manning is is definitely you know regressed a bit in his later years of his career. And now we'll see if that's still the case now that he's in an offensive scheme that's going to try to mitigate his role in the offense, which is the complete opposite of what Ben McAdoo's scheme did. Ben McAdoo's scheme put it all on the quarterback. This scheme mm-hmm. takes a lot off of the quarterback's plate, um, if that makes any sense. But so because of that, for me, Sterling Shepard off is just the best ball pick for me. I like him in best ball leagues where I don't have to pick the weeks when I want to start him because he's going to have these games where he catches these touchdowns in the red zone or, you know, breaks free from the slot and one-on-one coverage, which he's going to see all season. But I don't want to be the one having to choose which weeks those are. 
And you just mentioned the uh, guy kind of at the center of all this and the one we're most worried about, too, Eli Manning. You mentioned the line woes as well, but we, we've noticed that regression in play. Um, do you? How, how's he looking in camp so far, and is he going to be able to sustain these fantasy products, or what are you expecting out of him? Yeah, so for Manning, it's interesting. In camp so far, he's looked really good, but at the same time, his ball doesn't have the same kind of velocity it used to earlier in his career, but his timing is there. He's getting the timing down, and to me, at the quarterback position in the NFL, I think a lot of this is just timing-based, and you look at what Shermer did with Case Keenum in his career revival, his revival season of his career— and what he did is he ran the third most play action passes where Case Keenum had the best passer rating of anyone on play action passes. And that's actually something that Eli Manning was really efficient with earlier in his career before Ben McAdoo arrived in 2014. And that's something Manning said in the offseason before the Giants even hired a head coach said, I really want to try to get in an interview with Mike Francesi said, I really want to try to get back to the play action passing game. And now the Giants are going to give him that opportunity. So for me with Manning, it's going to come down to the Giants staying in third and manageable situations. When you get into the third and long now with Eli Manning, it's really it's 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 partially easy for opposing defensive coordinators to game plan against him because he doesn't have any escapability on those third and long plays, and he really can't make many plays outside of the structure of the play uh, with his legs or just anything like that. So for me, it's going to be just about how much can this offense keep the Giants in third and manageable because I think the big play – third and second and manageable because I think the big plays of this offense – will come on those plays or off the play-action pass on first down. But I do believe he can sustain at least uh, at least two really, really big-time players in this offense because you know we've seen it work in the past with Pat Shermer. And remember, Pat Shermer lost a starting quarterback. He lost Dalvin Cook in Week 4. And the, the Minnesota Vikings had multiple offensive line injuries as well, and they weren't really a great offensive line to begin with last season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, like you mentioned, maybe two to three people get sustained by Eli. But is there anybody else that is on our radar other than the big names we've already talked about that might be a sleeper that could explode in this offense? Or, or not explode, but anybody that we should be paying attention to that we didn't talk about yet? Yeah, definitely. I think, and not explode, obviously, because there's so many options and you said it best. But I think somebody to keep an eye on, and I, I wouldn't hate it if it's your last round in a really deep best ball league. And now. That- because Latimer's a guy who said when he got to Giants camp, he said, listen, I I was not I didn't enter the NFL prepared. I didn't work hard. I didn't have a good work ethic. And it showed. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning, he could never get on the field. Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning doesn't like playing with those players. And he promised Eli, I'm going to be a better player for you than I ever was for your brother. And so far, we've seen him in training camp. He's made a lot of big plays, especially in the red zone with Eli Manning, because he's a big body, six foot two, 215 pounds, ran a four three nine in his pro day, 39 inch vertical, and he just looks really dominant out there against cornerbacks when you watch the, when you watch them live at practice. So I think Latimer's a really interesting guy because he's going to see single coverage all season long he'll never see one play with a safety shaded in his direction so you know so that's just somebody if you're really looking for a deep dart throw that would be my guy all right now we're gonna switch we're gonna switch gears a little bit from fantasy to reality and uh we just had rj ochoa on uh just before you he covers all things dallas cowboys and he gave us his nf nfc east predictions uh for the standings how they're gonna play out so i'd love to hear uh, predictions for you know Giants record for the year and you know you know how how do you think the standings are going to play out? Obviously, it's August. Uh, if you don't get these right, you know no one's going to mm-hmm. really take you to task for that. But I'm dying to know what you think. Yeah, and, and just I, as a spoiler alert, RJ had the Giants last. Oh, and not not surprised. Uh, I, I've I've I've, had, I've seen him on Twitter. I'm not very surprised on that one. And that's not meant as a diss, but no, no, you no. Know, it, He's we a good can guy. always. 
it's 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 easy to get caught up when you're covering a team with that team. And I would admit that that's happened to me before. I thought the Brandon Marshall signing would be the key piece to this offense last season. <laughs> so you know, so you know, completely disregarding the fact that Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers were the two starters at offensive tackle last season. But anyway, <laughs> um, I do think the Giants have made a lot of additions to this roster at key position, whole positions. Um, but and I, in my opinion, and I've and I've said this in the past, and I'll say it again. I think coaching is way, way, way more important than people realize at the NFL level. And I do think Pat Shermer and James Betcher are two of the best at their respective uh, positions, coordinating an offense and a defense. I think that's going to help them make a big jump. But I do have concerns with Eli Manning, which I touched on earlier. And more importantly, I have concerns with the depth of this team overall. They weren't going to build Rome in one day. Jerry Reese, the former general manager, left them with a really, really, really bad roster. You know, he missed on multiple, every third round pick, multiple second round picks, some first round picks, Eric Flowers, Eli Apple hasn't really lived up to the billing. So they don't have depth on this roster. So if the Giants can stay healthy, I do believe they're going to they're gonna be a wild card team here. So my final prediction would be the Eagles will win the division. Uh, the Giants will finish 10-6 and six in second place. The Cowboys are going to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, I do think they have a shot at 9-7, 10-6 because of their defense. I don't like their offense that much, even with an offensive line. I don't like offense coordinator Scott Linehan. I think he's running a lot of the same stuff, and it's not working anymore. Uh, and then the Redskins, man, they're a team who I thought was going to actually be really competitive, but a lot based on the fact that I thought Darius Geis was going to be a big factor in that offense in the same way Ezekiel Elliott uh, revived the Cowboys offense and you know Barkley plans to, hopes to plan to revive the Giants offense. But now minus Geis... When you're going to be trotting out Samaj P. Ryan again, who I was way off on when I draft evaluation, and Rob Kelly, and Chris Thompson says he's not even going to be healthy till, till October. I mean, on an offensive line that was already trending down, it just it just doesn't look right to me. So I'm going to give them last place at six and ten. RJ uh, likes the Cowboys as the ten and six wild card team in this <laughs> equation. So yeah, honestly, and you both Shocker, like the you both like, like the Eagles, yeah. right? I know. <laughs> I think it's like possibly in everyone's contract. You you got to like your team at least yeah. as a ten and six wild card. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, you do uh, fantasy over for Pro Football Focus. So uh, would you be willing to run through a quick no huddle offense rapid fire segment uh, that we do every time we got a guy on? Definitely. Just let me know how it works. Do, do I give an explanation or I just give a name? Uh, you know, if you feel like you have to qualify an answer, you're welcome to. Um, but also, you know, if you just nail, bang one out, that's fine, too. Uh, All right. As much elaboration as you feel like doing, but it's generally pretty quick. Question number one, who should go number one overall in the fantasy draft? I'm taking Todd Gurley and not because he finished there last year. I have some <laughs> concerns about uh, Le'Veon Bell's workload over time and the other ones seem a little bit riskier to me. Give us your most undervalued player at each position. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Quarterback, there's like five guys I want to name. If I have name to pick them. one. I, <laughs> Go I mean, for it. <laughs> I mean, Marcus Mariota, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes. Those are all incredible values. If you want to dig deeper and you're in a 2QB league, I'm fine getting Derek Carr and John Gruden's system, which people are completely sleeping on, in my opinion. But Or even Tyrod Taylor for the beginning of the season and pairing him with yeah. somebody uh, you know, somebody in the back end. So those are my guys there. And even if you want to go in that mid range, I'm fi- I think I think Andrew Luck is undervalued as well because he's still being ranked outside the top ten or twelve. And with and people are, it's not just about Andrew Luck being healthy for me. It's about the fact that he now has Frank Reich. He now has uh, uh why am I blanking his name? Quinton Nelson at left guard. Uh, they I forgot who they got who stepped up there at right tight. They have a better offensive line. They have better tight ends with a coach who likes to use tight ends. 
um, and he and he's healthy. Um, and then at running back, my most undervalued player for me is Marshawn Lynch. Again, I'm buying into this Raiders offense. I liked his efficiency down the okay. stretch from last season. Um, and then, you know, I guess that would be undervalued. We're not looking for sleepers. Most undervalued at wide receiver. I'm going to go with a little on the closer on the upper tiers. I would go with Michael Crabtree. Um, but then, uh, you know, in the in the lower tiers, I'm going to go with a combination pick here, a tie. Devin Funches and Marquise Goodwin. Now, obviously, the hype's catching up to Goodwin, but I was I was hoping that wouldn't happen uh, this fast. But it looks like that's dead. But Devin Funches was actually a lot more efficient than people realized last season. Um, and he was and he was one of the most targeted receivers in the NFL on third downs, which to me is a really key stat that I like because that means the quarterback's looking for them. And he made a lot of big plays in tight contested coverage. So that would be my guy there. And then a tight end, you know, a, a devastatingly gross-looking position to me. I'm going to go with a deep, deep sleeper here, Eric Ebron. A lot of people, you know, panicked when he wasn't used in the first preseason game, but I think they're just trying to keep bubble wrap on the guy because I've been reading practice sports, and he's been used a ton there, um, and I like him in that Frank Reich offense. So those are my undervalued guys. All right, same exact question, but give us the most overvalued guy at each spot. Okay, this one's going to be interesting. The, the quarterback, I have Carson Wentz as the most under overvalued player there you by go. far. I have him extremely extremely low in my rankings comparatively I, i'm gonna count it down right now just real quick for you guys just Go. to show you how ridiculous this ranking is but i'm sticking with it i have him as my qb 13 as my qb 13 i think that a lot of wentz's value and a lot of the reason he was such a good fancy quarterback was that he made a lot of plays out of structure last season and i just don't know that he's gonna have that same mentality coming back from this injury i want to see it first i also think this eagles offense is a little bit overrated um Personally, I think that you know teams are going to catch up to what they were doing from a schematic standpoint to some extent this season, and they're going to be able to lean on the run game a little bit more now that Jai is fully ingrained in brain, you know, is fully ingrained in that system, and they have still have a really dominant offensive line. Then at running back, my most overvalued player would probably be. I'm going to start with a big name, Dalvin Cook. I'm I'm off on Dalvin Cook this season. I don't like the fact that one. That offensive line, which Pro Football Frank Focus ranked 28th before they had injuries to their left guard and their center, that's ugly to me. That offensive line looks really, really strange to me. I don't understand why people aren't talking more about how bad that offensive line can be, especially when you consider Kirk Cousins' track record under pressure, where he is a much less efficient quarterback when he's under pressure than when he's thrown from a clean pocket. Um, and in addition to that, I just don't trust that the new coaching staff is going to use Dalvin Cook like a workhorse like Pat Shermer clearly did. So that no, that doesn't seem to be talked about either. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, most overvalued receiver for me. Um, there's a few, but I mean, Devontae Parker, I'm completely off of and I loved him coming out of college. But when yeah, it takes this long, like I just don't understand Devontae Parker at all. When it takes this long, it's just not going to happen. But as far as the bigger names... I'm off of Juju Smith-Schuster for, Schuster for the reason of, yes, he's 22. Yes, he's super talented. But where are the targets coming from when Le'Veon Bell gets 100 a year and Antonio Brown gets 125? I just don't see the volume there. Um, I think people are paying for the talent, which is not always a trusty strategy. And then Adam Thielen, a guy who I, I, I you know, I think Diggs, this is the breakout season for Diggs. I really do. I, I love his talent. And, you know, Dylan made his made a lot of his way, you know, headway became a fantasy breakout because he had a really good connection with Case Keenum. Is that going to be there with Cousins? I don't know. Uh, and then finally, a tight end, most overvalued. This is tough. I don't. Uh, I 
don't know if I even have an overvalue. I'm just waiting at the position. Right. I guess I could I could go with Travis Kelsey because honestly, not not just only the addition of Sammy Watkins. When you look at Kelsey's career arc, mm-hmm. last year was the only time he he had he had a big touchdown season. Before that, he really was not a touchdown guy, and that was really what boosted him into this range. And he's being drafted in like the second or third round, so that would be my pick there. What early round draft pick? So it could be one one from rounds one through three is going to ruin fantasy seasons this year. I'll just stick with Dalvin Cook there, and then and then we can go on yeah. from there. Fair enough. Seasons. Yeah. Well, all right. We call them penny stocks. A lot of people call them late round lottery tickets, flyers, whatever. Uh, give us one or two late round guys that you really need to have. All right, late round guys. I like uh, yeah. this is no longer a late round guy. Carry on Johnson. So I'm going to go a little <laughs> deeper than that, okay. but I do love the way that guy runs. Um, Matt Vrita, here's a guy I like because I'm not a big fan of Jarek McKinnon as a runner. He's going to get targets in the passing game, but I think it's going to be closer. Not, not, not a 50, 50 split by any means, but I think Vrita can really, uh, establish himself as a runner and that's going to be a high scoring offense. I also like Jordan Wilkins. I'll give you one more there from the running back position as a penny yeah. stock. Here's a guy you can still get really cheap. And I just don't trust anyone else there to really, you know, step up. First of all, I think Wilkins can take over the red zone role, but second of all, I think he can take over a bigger share than that. And then I got a lot of receivers, but I'll just stick with my favorite one here. Michael Gallup. Here's a guy I'm going to probably get in every league. I own. He's still going really cheap. Even after his, his preseason touchdown, um, and I think he he was my second favorite receiver in this draft class. And when you have when you enter a situation like he's in, where to me there's no established number one receiver. I know Alan Hearns has some track record of success at fan, in fantasy football and at the NFL level, but he has no rapport or connection with Dak Prescott, no more than Gallup does. So and Terrence Williams, please. Don't talk to me about Terrence Williams. I think he's probably one of the worst receivers in the NFL that's, <laughs> that, that has a starting job. So so that there's my take there. And then if finally, if you want one tight end, actually I went over it earlier, Eric Ebron, but Ricky Seals-Jones is also really interesting to me with a quarterback like Sam Bradford. And even if Bradford goes down, Josh Rosen like really peppered his tight end with targets at the college level. All right, the single most important move fantasy owners can make in 2018 that will win them a title is... Just don't draft quarterback. Just wait. Just keep waiting. Just keep, keep waiting. Wait till 11 teams have it. Maybe don't even care if a 12th team has it. If you're in an auction, definitely wait till at least 10, 11 teams have their quarterback. If you're in a snake draft, just keep on waiting because you can just get so much value at the end of these drafts and upside with guys like Mahomes, who's who's going really low late, and even Garoppolo doesn't get drafted too high. Marcus Mariota, this is a guy I love in Matt LaFleur's offense. So that would be my strategy. Don't get tempted into the into the onesie positions. Wait a QB, wait a tight end, and just keep loading up at running back and receiver. All right, Dan, if your life depended on it, how many hot dogs and buns could you eat in 10 minutes? <laughs> My life depends. I mean, like you know, like you know, if you really had to, like oh, you had to give Max uh, hot dogs and buns. Ten minutes. I have like no frame of reference to answer this question. Let me think about this. Like ten minutes. How many gonna eat in a minute? <laughs> then I then the slowdown period. You know, you're gonna get hit with a slowdown period. Where you just oh, can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, I think you start. You start at like, like, like. F- like three dogs a minute, I think you can start at, but then you slow down in that last five minutes to like three total. So I'm gonna go with yeah. I'm gonna go with eighteen, eighteen. Oh, actually, you got to factor in the buns. The buns are gonna kill you. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna drop that. Are, I'm gonna good. drop that to twelve. The buns are gonna kill you. <laughs> oh, fantastic analysis there. That was uh, good analysis. Absolutely. Let's wrap up with your boldest prediction for the 2018 season, and just a reminder of where people can find you to interact. Sure. 
My boldest prediction for the 2018 season is a guy who I drafted everywhere last year, and I'm drafting him everywhere this year again. I think that Corey Davis will end up as a wide receiver one in 2018, and here's a guy you're going to get really late in the wide receiver three, sometimes even four range, depending on your drafts, and depending on if he doesn't really start to pick it up at practice, even though, guess what? He was back at practice today, and he made two awesome plays with Marcus Mariota. I think that all offense is going to take off in the passing game, and he's going to be the guy leading the way. Uh, as far as where you can find me, uh, best way to find me is always on Twitter. Um, and that my handle is Dan Schneier NFL. That's D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R-N-F-L. And if you do like Giants football and you want to hear more Giants talk like you heard from this one, definitely check out the Big Blue Banter podcast on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. We're, we're everywhere because we're trying to get it off the ground. And we would definitely appreciate your support. Awesome. Dan Schneier, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're a great guest, a great interview. Thanks a whole bunch. Thanks for having me. I had a great time, guys. Good. Thank you. Later. Fantastic interview. Dan Schneier, thanks again. You can find him at Dan Schneier NFL. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R-N-F-L. On Twitter, he loves to connect and interact with people, so make sure you're hitting him up and check out his podcast, Big Blue Banter. Fantastic Giants insight, as you heard here. Tons of schematics, tons of breakdown. I love the musical chairs analysis of Pat Shermer's offense and how he's moving everyone all over the place. you got to be ready. Cody Latimer, a name I hadn't even been considering, but a great penny stock, the way he's using his red zone to just moss people and drills. you got Odell Beckham just looking fully healthy as if he'd never had surgery, being used so creatively on screens where he's just so dangerous after the catch. Saquon Barkley, potential workhorse. So much great stuff coming out of here. Evan Ingram going in the backfield at times. I mean, loaded podcast. Great interview. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. What a great show. What a great guest. Uh, and tune in soon for the next episode at, of the On the Fantasy Beat. You can check out this interview and so many more at ffbdpod.com if you want to hear more. You can subscribe. Please rate us. Let us know how we're doing. You can find me at Roto Street Wolf both on Twitter and Snapchat. Hit me up on both. Would love to get all your fancy questions in as we prepare for this season. Drafts are almost out here, baby. Let's go, Wolfpack. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second down, third down, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks. <laughs>